0: I started selling every real estate that I had, but I was doing like development and these projects took years, you know, from the time I buy the dirt to the time I get on the market, it's like three, four years on some of these deals. So you can't just walk away. And, you know, at the end of the day, I got stuck with a couple of properties and it ended up wiping me out.
1: Hello fellow risk takers and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'll be your worst podcast host today. And I'm here with featured guests, Mark Moss. Mark, are you ready to rock? Yeah, I, I was until I heard that intro, but yeah, let's do it. I'll be your best worst. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Mark is a full-time investor and has been doing that for the past 25 years. He's invested in businesses, real estate, stocks, gold, and crypto. He's also a market analyst on YouTube and a newsletter publisher. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, he knows his stuff about asset allocation and investing. Mark, take a minute and fill in further tidbits about your life.
0: Yeah, sure. So the super high level was, I guess, back to... About 1995 in California, where I'm at in the United States, we had just gone through a really bad market crash from about 89 to 92. And one of the worst real estate crashes we had seen at that time, the banks were flooded with foreclosures. I was 18 years old and I kind of heard that like someone I knew was like buying bank owned properties and fixing them up and selling them. And I thought, hey, I want to do that. And of course I didn't have any money and I didn't have any credit and I teamed up with a buddy. We got a house zero down. We fixed it up. We flipped it, made like 30 grand. And it was like, wow, life-changing parlayed that over and over and over and over and over a decade later. I'm sitting on about $20 million in real estate had done pretty well. I had built up a few businesses at the time, had a fortune 500 exit. And then the real estate crash of 2008 came and I got wiped out And that was pretty, pretty bad, pretty traumatic. And I had to figure out what this whole financial game is all about, this financial casino. And so, you know, there's really no motivation like having to feel that personally. And so I've spent the last like 12 years studying markets, hard sound money, gold, silver, the way the Fed works, central bank policies, et cetera. Just, I mean, deeper than most people could ever imagine. Like I said, for like the last 12 years, about four or five years ago, I started writing a newsletter an investment newsletter. And I now put it all out onto YouTube and yeah, just having a lot of fun, just
1: watching the play by play happen. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like anything that happened these days, it's crazy. Now your YouTube is Mark Moss. So if anybody wants to go to it, just type in Mark Moss and you'll see it. And if someone goes to the YouTube, what would be an example of the type of thing that they'll be able to, to learn there or catch there or see there?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I would say the big theme about what I talk about is the death of the dollar. I mean, that, that would pretty much sum it up. And I've been talking about that now for a few years because really that's where I went to after 2008. When I started to really dig into like what is going on here, I realized it's the dollar that's the problem. And we need to go back to a hard sound money, which is why I became a big gold advocate, which is why I became a really big Bitcoin advocate. But we need to go back to a hard sound money. So really, that's probably the the overlying theme of the channel. So we talk a lot about central bank policies, what the Fed's doing, you know, markets are doing a lot about gold, a lot about Bitcoin, some about real estate, but all in the theme of like what is going on. And, and from like a big macro picture, how we should be looking at the world, the markets, and where we should be trying to put our money to. To, to, you know, not, not trying to make money in a week or two, but really, like, where should we be setting ourselves up for the future?
1: The death of the dollar. The death of I the dollar. I think that's very, very likely to happen. And curious, just because maybe 60% of my listeners are in Asia, what does it mean for someone in Asia? I mean, first of all, there's people in Asia, many people in Asia that don't have, you know, exposure to the U.S. market. They're buying stocks in their local, you know, markets in their local currencies. Some of them do own some us etfs or maybe they own apple or something like that so they have some exposure from like directly into that but what what would be your advice to those people as far as how they should think about the dollar and their own position in their country versus the dollar
0: sure well you know even if they're in another country and they don't think they have exposure to dollar everybody has exposure to the dollar the dollar is the world reserve currency and so everything is based off of that. And so even if you're working in another currency, it's still tied back to the dollar somehow. As far as what is going to happen to them or anybody for that matter, it's really anybody's guess. We're trying to predict the future and we haven't really seen this, this big of a situation unravel itself. So we're really not sure. I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to seeing the world a little bit different. And so what I mean by that is all value is relative. And so what I mean by that is it's relative to something else. So it's like a a nominator and a denominator. And so things are priced in dollars. You can price, you know, I guess being in the US, right? Being dollar denominated, we can price home prices in dollars, gold in dollars, stocks in dollars, but we could also value homes in gold. I could value homes in barrels of oil. I could value homes in Bitcoin. And so there's different things we can value things in. And so I think what it means is, trying to figure out where you have exposure to the dollar and try to reduce that. And so what I mean by that is right now we're seeing in the U.S. markets again, we're seeing stocks go through the roof. Mm. We've already seen gold hit new all-time highs in every currency. And as of today, it hit new all-time high in the dollar as well. And so every currency in the world and now finally the dollar are losing ground to gold. Real estate prices are going through the roof. Stocks are going through the roof. But the thing that people don't fully grasp is that it's not those assets are going up in value. It's the dollar is going down in value and it just takes more dollars to buy them. And so I guess no matter where you're at in the world, you're really just trying to figure out, okay, where do I have exposure to currency? Because if the dollar goes, all currencies are going to go. It's about having access to assets that are going to keep that value for you because otherwise you end up like in Venezuela with Boliviar's that are worth nothing, they're laying on the street, nobody even wants to pick them up. So you need land, you need oil, you need gold, you need, real, you need something tangible. I think we'll see a massive commodities boom most likely over the next several years or decade as we see these currencies become worthless. So anyway, I think, I think the, if the dollar falls, all the currencies fall and I think everyone's gonna be at risk of holding currency
1: or you know, holding fiat currency. Great, so that means that something like, let's take gold as an example the benefit to the average investor is that the supply of gold is not going to be massively increased, unlike the supply of dollars. A lot of times people get confused about the way they think about inflation, but basically when you think about inflation, actually what it really is is deflation of the dollar by printing more and more and more dollars, you're actually causing it to devalue. So other things relative to it are getting expensive, but that's not happening in gold as an example.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have to think about it a little bit and most people really haven't taken the time to think about money. And so even if you're invested in the stock market, you know, you think you're, you think you're paying attention to money, but maybe you're not. And so what I mean by that is that really we work, if we want to get into kind of philosophy behind it, like I have energy, I eat food, I have energy. I can go out and put, eight or 10 hours of work in today. And what happens is if I work a little bit harder, I should be able to store that energy so I could use it in the future. And so really it comes down to storing our value or storing our wealth. And so what we want to do is we want to be able to store our value or store our wealth to be used at a later time and date. Now, if you're storing that in your currency, it's losing purchasing power. And what that means is it's going to buy less goods and services in the future. So what happens is I don't want to like, that would be like putting all, let's say that I took all the money in the world and I put it into roses and then I put those roses in my safe. Well, those roses are going to be dead in a week. It's not going to be any good. All my money is going to be gone. Right? So what you want is you want to put all your money into something that's going to last. And the dollars, the currencies are all losing value over time. The dollars lost 99% of its value in a hundred years. So that means it's always buying less goods, less goods, less goods. So what we want is we want to buy more goods. So, you have to ask yourself, what will hold that value? A rose isn't gonna hold the value, an orange won't hold that value, but gold probably will, right? So what are the assets, where can I put my money that will hold its value for five years or 10 years or 20 years down the road, or maybe even, or even increase that value? And so maybe stocks, right? Stocks of companies can do that. You know, obviously land, oil, real world commodities, but currencies, currencies are not holding value. They're, Mm. They're not designed to hold value. They're designed for inflation.
1: Mm, got it. And there's a great book called Your Money or Your Life written by um, Dominguez was the last name. I'll have to put it in the show notes, but a great book that talks about just what you said about the idea of we have a certain amount of energy and we trade our energy for currency that then allows us to you know, buy a TV. But if you looked at a TV as a certain amount of energy that you had to expend to get it, it would change the way you looked at consumption. And that book was really a life changer for me. I bought it probably 30 years ago or 25 years ago. Really helped me put things in perspective to something that you mentioned, which is this idea of of energy, because that's all we got. And it runs out at the end of each day. The most
0: (laughs) scarce resource on the planet, right?
1: Absolutely. All right, well, for the listeners out there who want to learn more about asset allocation, all that, go to Mark Moss' YouTube channel, and there's a lot going on there. In fact, you'll learn about upcoming webinars that he's doing and all kinds of stuff there. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. I know we couldn't put it off too long. Now, since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story.
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, it's painful to think about, right? And man, I've made so many of them that it's hard to really think about what the worst one is, right? there's, you know, there, like I said, there's so many and I've lost millions of dollars. I've, you know, made tens of millions and I've lost millions and it's a rough road. When I think about the worst one, it wasn't like a single thing, but it was a series of events that led up to a a circumstance happening and it changed my life. And it's, it's exactly why I do what I do today. And really what that is, is I I kind of actually gave some of it away when I did the intro, but I was young and I started buying real estate. I I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm investing in real estate. I'm a business owner. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a business owner. I'm an investor. They're kind of the same thing, right? But I'm buying and fixing properties. And next thing you know, I'm doing 150 properties, a hundred properties. Next thing you know, I'm buying apartment buildings. And now I'm building from the ground up and I'm doing mixed use buildings and commercial buildings and all these things. And at the same time, I was also doing some businesses. I had uh, built up a couple of businesses. businesses had a fortune 500 exit unrelated to real estate. But what happened is I thought I was really smart and I was, I was, I was smart. But I, I didn't know everything. I knew how to make a lot of money, but I didn't understand how to keep the money. And that's the problem that the rappers and the football players and the people that win the lottery all have, right. Or, you know, the lottery, they got lucky, but you know, a lot of those musicians or whatever, they learn how to make money. But what I've found, and, and I've heard it said many times and I, I had to find out for the hard way is that it's much harder to keep your money than it is to make it much harder. And so, you know, they also quote that so many quotes I have, but they say smooth seas never made a skilled sailor. And so we don't learn from our successes. We learn from our failures. And so I had success, man. Every business I touched to, I touched seven figures, eight figures, exits, Fortune 500 exits, building up my real estate portfolio, built myself a mansion, just got married, had a kid, everything was good. But what I didn't understand is what got me in trouble. And so I saw this 2008 real estate crash coming. I saw it coming for about a year and I read a book by Harry Dent and it's the great bubble boom ahead. And he kind of forecasted this. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, I need to get out. And I started selling every real estate that I had, but I was doing like development and these projects took years, you know, from the time I buy the dirt to the time I get on the market, it's like three, four years on some of these deals. So you can't just walk away. And you know, at the end of the day, I got stuck with a couple properties and it ended up wiping me out. And I went, you know, I was a student of history. So I looked at the worst real estate crash in history was from 89 to 92 when I first got my start. It was about a 30% drop over four years. The worst 12 month drop was only 6%. So here I am in 2007, 2008. I'm going, okay, the worst 12 month drop in history was 6%. What if it was twice as bad? 12%. Okay, I'm okay. What if it was three times as bad? 18%. Okay, I'm okay. Right. I was like three times bet. Well, in California, where I'm at, it dropped 60% in 12 months. And I didn't have, I had too much leverage. I thought I didn't have leverage. I was, I was okay for a three times the worst history, but I was over leveraged when it dropped 60%. I couldn't hold on to everything. And I ended up losing everything. And it was because I didn't understand that you don't put all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> and of course everyone, Oh yeah, Mark, you're an idiot. Of course you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Of course, we know that. But like in practicality, things are different. And I had businesses, you know, I had other assets, but I put it all on the line and I crapped out, you know. Mm. And so, you know, if I would have only had half my wealth in that, well, at least I would have still had half to build up, you know, to start over from, or even if I had 30% or whatever. And so you never want to get out. You want to stay in the game. And, you know, I went from having, you know, $20 million plus real estate portfolio to being millions of dollars in debt. And that was a pretty big hole to climb out of. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I grew up racing dirt bikes and I have broke every limb in my body. I have metal in all my joints. And so I'm used to just kind of dusting myself off and getting up again. And so I did, and and I was good, like I said, at making the money. So I was able to make the money again. This time, I had to learn how to do it the right way. And that's why it's my mission now today to make sure other people don't, don't repeat my same mistake.
1: Fantastic, fantastic. And just one question is that, can you remember any particular day where you really realize this is all falling apart? And, you know, is there any particular day that stands out for you?
0: You know, I, I, no, not really. Because I mean, if anybody who lived through that time knows it was, it was, <laughs> it was a short period of time, but it was a, uh, you know, it was a process. And it was like, Oh, this building is going to sell. We have a buyer. Okay. We're going to, we're going to get out. Okay. All right. Everything's going to work out. And then like, Oh no, the deal fell through. They couldn't get the financing. Okay, let's get it back up. You know, and it was, so it was kind of like a process. I don't think there was like a light switch moment, but it was in a, in a, in a rather
1: compressed period of time. I and mean, it happened all very, very quickly. Mm. So let's review. What lessons did you learn from this?
0: Yeah, well, like I said, the lesson the lesson that I learned and the reason why I do what I do now is because you can't have all your eggs in one basket. And like I said, I know that seems stupid and it seems, of course, you know, whatever, but what happened is, so then fast forward a little bit and I'll help you or I'll show you how this really resonates even more for me. So what happened is going into 2016, because I was studying gold and financial markets, I got really into Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin is gonna be a better gold. It's a bigger gold. We're not going to get into that right now unless you want to, but I really started getting into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and I started writing a cryptocurrency newsletter. There weren't really any out at the time and it absolutely crushed it. I mean, you're in the investment space. I'm in the investment space. I put out over 20 calls that went up over a thousand percent. I had one that went up 25,000%. I had one call that went up over a hundred thousand percent. That makes $500 into half a million bucks. Mm. I've never seen that before. I couldn't believe it. I'm the best analyst in the world. Maybe I got lucky, whatever. But what happened is, is I watched all these people in the newsletter go broke. And I'm like, how are they going broke? I've never seen such good calls in my life. And what happened is they didn't understand the basics of investing. So they were putting all their money into cryptos. And guess what? As it continued to go higher, they put more in and more in and more in. And they thought taking profits was taking some from one crypto into another crypto. So they thought they were diversifying. Now I have 50 cryptos. And then when when the market crashed in 2018, they lost everything. A lot of people did, you know? And I was just like, what? Like, like how could you lose everything? I felt like I had really done a disservice to everybody. Mm. Even though I was like, hey, let's take profits, close this one out, bank profits on this one, big profits on this one. They didn't understand what to do with those profits. They didn't understand like, oh crap, I just made $100,000 on crypto. I should go put it into real estate. I should go put it into gold. I could put it into the stock market. They didn't understand. They just put it into more crypto. So it was really after seeing that is when I said, all right, all right, hang on. People need to understand the
1: basics. And so that's that's why I kind of launched what I'm doing now. Got it. Got it. All right. Let me summarize what I take away from it. I mean, one of the things that the biggest thing that I take away from what you've said At the end of this podcast and i just realized i probably should also say it at the beginning is that we create grow and protect our wealth and i think that one of the biggest mistakes that people make is that they confuse those things for instance they go into the stock market think they're going to create wealth we create wealth through business let's take your business of you know of building houses and all that stuff so that's where we create now and i always say that you know you don't have to be an entrepreneur to create wealth. If you make a salary of $100,000 and you can keep your costs at, let's say, $60,000, you have created an excess of $40,000 in that year. That is creating wealth. Then the next question is, how do we grow that wealth? And what you're talking about is the concept of asset allocation. You You don't just put it all into crypto and also, you know, you don't go into crypto thinking, I'm gonna make a million dollars out of this. You think about how I'm gonna grow this money. Right. And then finally the most important thing and the reason why we're talking right now and what this show is all about is protecting our wealth, the risk management aspect of that. And for some people that, that could be a stop loss. For some people that could be an asset allocation waiting where if they deviate too far away from that, they sell the one that's been going up and they buy the one that's been going down. But all those different things are things that are related to the idea of protect. So create, grow and protect is what we talk about here. And so I think for me, that's the best lesson that I get out of it. Anything you'd add?
0: No, I think you actually unpacked it really well and you're absolutely right. And that's what I try to tell people. It's like, investing is what you do with your money after you make it. And I see a lot of people that want to just quit their jobs and become full-time investors. And it's like, that's not really how it works. Like you need to, and you, you unpacked it perfectly. You have to create the wealth first. And then you invest what's left over, and then ultimately, yeah, the risk management is everything. And so, of course, for me, it's everything. And I see so many people that don't understand that trade-off. It's always about risk-adjusted, right? And so, people think, "Oh, well, why wouldn't I go into that?" You know? And I'm like, the risk isn't worth the potential reward, because you know, I pose this question to my uh, group actually. I think two weeks ago, and I asked him a hypothetical question. I said, everyone knows how to play blackjack. Well, most people. You go to the casino, and, and the game is 21, right? You draw as many cards as you can, and it's close to 21 without going over, right? Now, there's a strategy for that. There's odds, and, like, the dealer has to hit. If the dealer has a 17 or less, they have to hit. If they have 17 or over, they're not allowed to hit. That's it. Me, I can do whatever I want. Mm. So let's say, that, let's say that I get a 19, and I decide to hit that and I draw two, and I win. Did I make the right decision? And a lot of people in my group, they don't know. They're like, yeah, you made the right decision.
1: I said, no, I didn't.
0: I didn't make the right decision. That was wrong. That was wrong. I I got lucky, but I can't can't let my future depend on luck. So I, I made the wrong call. Even though I was lucky, the right call, I would be better off to lose that hand and lose that money knowing I played it correctly. Because over time, I'm going to win. And if I'm trying to get lucky all the time, over time, I'm going to lose. And so that's where that risk return kind of comes in, I think.
1: Yeah, it's a great point because one of the arguments that people oftentimes make is that, well, but, but, but somebody else got rich in the casino. You know, I mean, and that's what that comes down to. It's something I'm teaching in a seminar today about randomness. You know, there's randomness underlying everything in the world and definitely in investing. So you can say that, there absolutely must be winners coming out of casinos. But the question is, are they winning from luck or from skill? Right. We already know from basic statistics and you know, the theories of variation that there must be a large number that come out based upon luck. So then the question is every time that someone loses money or makes money, I always ask the question, how do you know it wasn't from luck? And if luck is your strategy, you're doomed to fail. So I think that's a you know a great, great reminder. All
0: and right. I mean, I think, you know, Tesla is a perfect example of that. I mean, you're a stock analyst. I mean, how the heck do you find any fundamentals to back that up? And, you know, people make money on it. And, you know, I, I'm human, I get FOMO like anybody else and like, shoot, why didn't I buy Tesla, you know, or whatever, but I stick to my discipline. I yeah. stick to my, my discipline and, and it works out, you know?
1: Well, Tesla is a great example because, you know, if you do it from a valuation perspective, you're gonna find that you know, the stock price is massively above the actual value that you would calculate. Does that mean that nobody makes money? No, there's people that are trading momentum, and when you, th- when you understand the value of something, and let's say the value of something is 100 and the share price is at 700, then if you understand the value, then when you put on a momentum-based trade to say, I think this is gonna go from 700 to 750, you also know that you need to have your stop losses in place. You need to know that you're tethering very far from the value. And if you know that, then you put in your risk management and you play the, the momentum game. You know, it can be, you know, there's all kinds of ways to make money, but risk is the key because sure. there's even more ways to lose money. <laughs> it's too easy. It's too easy. I'm, I'm definitely a living proof of that. So based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's a a series of actions and maybe they're all tied together. But really what you have to understand is that the best for you is not the best for me. The best for me today, it wasn't the best for me six months ago. And so really you have to understand, so people ask me all the time, you know, what's the best stock to buy or uh, should I buy this gold? It's like, I don't know because I don't know what you're trying to do. And so the best advice I can give someone is to think, which is really hard, but sit down and think like, what is it that I really am trying to do? Where do I want to be? And then make a plan to get there. Because if I don't understand your time horizon and your risk ratios and your income and your level of sophistication and your interest, I don't know what to tell you, right? That's up for you to decide. It's like, what's the best restaurant? I don't know, like, do you like Mexican food or do you like, you know, like, so I would, I would encourage people just to kind of take the time to really think through, like, what is it they're trying to do? And what's their plan to get there? And once they can figure that out, then they need to decide, okay, what is the strategy or the plan that's going to get me there? Because nobody's going to be able to tell
1: that to you, you have to figure that out on your own. Mm. And some baseline guidance, you know, if you look in the past for take stock market, the US stock market, depending on when you start the series, has earned somewhere between eight and 12% on average per year. That doesn't mean every year, some years it lost 30 and other years it gained 30. But okay. let's just say eight to 12%. So let's pick 10%. So US stock market in particular has earned about 10% over the last 30, 40, 50 years, something like that. And what has the best, I just calculated Warren Buffett's return, his, his return was 17% the best in the world, got 17%. So, you know, and basically he's in a league above everyone else. So the fact is, is that if you think you're gonna earn 20% on your investments per year, you're dreaming. It's not that it couldn't happen. It's not that well, you it,
0: cer- it certainly can happen, but not, not on a consistent basis over a long period of time. Right. And- I so- mean, it's like playing a baseball game and trying to imagine every single person at bat's gonna hit a home
1: run. Right. It just, it just, it just doesn't happen. You don't win baseball games that way. And when you realize that reality, I mean, for for the students that I have in my Build Your Wealth course that are real beginners and do not want to waste their time, you know, thinking about all this stuff because it is a waste of time for them because they're just not interested in all that. What I try to say is, you know, think about about an 8% return in the stock market. If you start with that conservative, relatively conservative estimate for we're talking about 20, 30, 40 years as you're preparing for your retirement, financial independence. Probably not a bad place to start at that point. Yeah. So anything else you'd
0: add? No, I mean, I think that's right. I think there is something fun and sexy about gambling, right? Casinos are there. And there's something fun and sexy about trying to gamble in the stock market too. And I want to chase the penny stocks or the Teslas or the, I want to day trade or whatever it is. And and I think that's okay, but you want to set up the strategy so that it doesn't affect your total portfolio. So you can say, okay, I have 100% of my money, half of it's gonna go into stocks. Of that half that goes into stocks, I'm gonna take 10% of that and I'm gonna gamble with that. That's my day trading money, but that's, that's, that's my fun money. I'm gonna go for penny stocks, I'm gonna go for a crypto, whatever it is. But like, you need to do it in a strategy. The other thing about that is that, like a venture capital investor would be, they they split their money up into multiple positions, right? So typically Mm. they would say, okay, I'm going to dedicate 20% to, you know, VC. And of that 20%, I'm going to divide it up in 10 companies because I know three or four are going to go to zero, three or four are going to do okay, but the two or three that hit are going to do good. But what I see people making the mistake of is just trying to get one. I'm gonna just go for one. But the chance of you getting that one right is very small. So when you do wanna gamble, you do wanna go for those moonshots, you need to do it in a strategy. So dedicate a portion of your portfolio to that, and then make sure you diversify it enough to play the averages. So that's, that's what I'd say. It's fun, have, have
1: fun with your money, you know? That's nothing right. wrong with that. But just do it in a way to protect it, as, as you said. Yeah, this is a good reminder of the concept of mental accounting. When we separate our accounts into, you know, our fund money versus our, you know, long-term retirement money type of thing or long-term growth, it helps us to make decisions, you know, properly. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months?
0: Shoot my number one goal. Oh man, I have so many goals and things are changing so fast. I mean, like number one investing goal, number one business goal, any, number any, one- any
1: goal that comes to mind.
0: You know, my main goal that I'm focused on right now, and it's really an 18 month goal, is to build cash flow. I'm always investing for cash flow. I pound the table on investing for cash flow. I think it's the biggest thing that people just don't realize you need to invest for cash flow. And so I've been doing that. But I invest for growth, and then I take that growth and then I put it over into more cash flow. And I've been doing pretty good on the growth side. And my goal right now is trying to transition a big chunk over in the next 18 months into cash flow. So I can pretty much be done with that for a while. So that's probably my number one business and investing goal wrapped into one. Great. And I am well, just, just going to add to that. You didn't ask me, but I pound the table on cash flow. And the reason why is that everything that anybody has ever been told about retirement is completely wrong, a hundred percent wrong. And we know it for fact. And I can prove it to you because we have the baby boomer generation is the largest segment of the population and they're all retiring right now. And they're all broke half of the baby boomers, at least in the United States, half have $0 saved, half of them. Of the half that do have money, they have an average of $100,000. That's good for a couple hundred bucks a month. Now, they were raised on the mantra of go to school, get good grades, get a good job, save for retirement. Saving for retirement does not work. And even if it did, why do you want to do that? Why do you want to work for 40 or 50 years and then live off your savings? We don't live off savings. Yes, have savings. I'm all for savings. If you lose your job, you live off your savings, but you don't want to live off that for very long. You want to live off cash flow. So as investors, we should always be investing for cash flow. And what I've seen for myself and other people that I've worked with, if you focus on investing for cash flow, within five years, you might be able to quit your job. I mean, you can do it 10 years for sure. Why wait for 40 or 50 years to retire and live off your savings when you could retire in 10 years off of your cash flow? So anyway,
1: I pound the table on that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, just go to his YouTube channel, Mark Moss, and I'm sure you'll hear a lot about that. Listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Mark, I wanna thank you for coming on the show and I wanna congratulate you for being one of the brave ones. I say brave because when I ask most people to come on the show, they say, no, Andrew, I'd prefer to talk about my winners. You have now turned your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? No, I think I've laid it all out there for everyone. Beautiful, fantastic. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is Andrew Stotz, your worst podcast host saying, I'll see you on the upside.